0: Hello and welcome to Behind the Money. I'm Amy Keene. This is a podcast where my FT colleagues, their sources and I dig into the big business and financial news of the moment and get into the stories behind the headlines. This week on the show, how the beauty industry is beating the rest of retail and whether it's enough to ward off
1: Amazon's advances. You're talking about an industry where 86% of women buy makeup. It's a recession-proof industry. If I don't spend money on Not really clothes, but makeup. You know, this is definitely a lemonade, I woke up like this girl who definitely feels flawless with or without her product. Makeup doesn't make you beautiful, you make makeup beautiful. What am I giving back other than sending you out the door with the product? Because at this point the consumer wants more than just the physical product.
0: One weekend in April, I went up to the Javits Center on Manhattan's west side. It's the convention center known for hosting big events like Comic-Con and the New York City Marathon Expo, even Hillary Clinton's 2016 concession speech. But on this particular day, a portion of the convention floor has been transformed into a beauty lover's dream. It's called BeautyCon, and it's a two-day event billed as a festival celebrating self-expression and staying true to oneself. On a stage in the middle of it all is a non-stop program of interviews and panels on these very topics.
1: Beauty is both inside and out. You know, we believe in that at
0: BeautyCon. BeautyCon is also big business. If you
1: guys want to take home some BeautyCon merch, some influencer merch, you can head on over to BeautyCon shop in Wall Street and get some exclusive BeautyCon merch to represent that you're here.
0: The tens of thousands of attendees, including teen girls and stay-at-home moms, have spent between 60 dollars and $2,000 for weekend tickets. Many of these women say they regularly spend upwards of $1,000 on beauty products each month. These women are dropping big money on makeup, all in the name of self-expression. It's what brought them to BeautyCon, and it's what brings them to the brick-and-mortar retailers like
1: Sephora and Ulta. Ulta. When you create a cultured experience around an audience that's been mostly underserved, you're going to just have a very, very, very um, strong response. That's the voice of Moj Madera. She's the chief executive
0: officer of BeautyCon. I caught up with Moj in one of the few quiet corners behind the scenes
1: at BeautyCon in New York to understand what the business is all about. We're a commerce business, an experiential retail business and a media brand. In other words, they sell their
0: own branded merchandise, throw these festivals in cities like New York, LA, and London, and post videos and articles for their hundreds of thousands of followers across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and their own BeautyCon website. It's a business model that seems to be working. Take this example. In the last year, Apple stores brought in about $5,500 in sales per square foot of retail space they have available.
1: So we do for ourselves, about $4,600 per square foot in terms of retail on an annualized basis.
0: $4,600 in sales per square foot of space at these BeautyCon festivals. To put these numbers in the context of the rest of retail, the average U.S. store made just $325 per square foot. That's
1: according to CoStar. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a very big number. Yeah. Which really tells us that this isn't just a, I'm coming to... Uh, watch experience this is i came here to shop buy participate learn educate um and that's really where i think the consumer has changed um and i think where brands and retailers have underestimated who this consumer is today so who is this consumer the consumer who's here is a super influential beauty i call him prosumer you know, this person has an average of 3,500 followers. This person buys eight or more products a month. This person does spend a real percentage of their budget on a on a monthly basis on beauty products. But this person is also super communicative understands technology you know this is definitely a lemonade i woke up like this girl who definitely feels flawless with or without her product these girls all believe they can be whatever they want to be there are people here who don't even want to identify as male or female but just want to be themselves and they want to have fun and they are interested in exploring and
2: discovering community
1: i woke up like this we flawless
2: We think about a con. Most people, like Comic Con, is, is probably the one that comes to mind most.
0: Simeon Siegel is a stock analyst at Nomura Instinet in New York. He covers everything from Amazon to The Gap to beauty store Ulta. I asked him what BeautyCon is doing for the industry.
2: Whether it's Comic Con, whether it's BeautyCon, whether it's Coachella, what you're seeing is people want to come together for something that they believe in, for something that they associate with, and and that is if you do that in the right way, and you not going to say surreptitiously add in a commerce element, but you subtly add in a commerce element. The reality is if you can create an experience around the shop, that's how you win.
0: So, Simeon, what's that mean for the typical in-store retail experience, whether you're going to a Sephora or an Alta or I guess even a department store that you might have gone to to get these products primarily in the past?
2: So, so you just said it and um, the way that you put it is is perfect because it used to be this was a department store experience and now it's a sephora and ulta experience and and those two stores specifically those two companies have done a phenomenal job at both heralding the change and capitalizing on the change and making sure they were going to benefit from the change in the way people are shopping department stores are going through something structural not cyclical where they end will be a fair question but beauty unlike most other categories is seeing a very strong growth in stores. Sephora and Ulta have shown us that the right locations, the right merchandising, and the right experience tied in with the right form of social media capture can drive a very healthy in-store business. And that's not what we're seeing across the rest of retail.
0: If you think back to those days before social media, it was the companies and the big glossy fashion magazines that told us what to wear how to style our hair, what makeup to put on. That's changed.
2: At this point, given Instagram, social media, etc., any any tween with a handle has just as much of a right to opine. And what that does is it essentially limits or changes the reach that any given brand can have. Hey guys, it's Irene. Irene Um, Kim is a Korean-American
0: model turned social media creator. She's 30, and she's building an empire out of her YouTube videos and Instagram posts. She's even created a production studio to serve her 1.1 million Instagram followers and the brands that want a slice of that influence. We chatted on the sidelines of a very noisy pink carpet at BeautyCon.
2: Uh, My social media presence is very fun and colorful, and I always try to inspire girls that want to be, creative industry, that want to create content, that want to inspire through expressing themselves. So...
0: And she was at BeautyCon to promote a forthcoming line of clothing and accessories from her own label, as well as a new partnership with one of her favorite brands.
2: I think my most dream come true partnership is that I'm the beauty ambassador for Chanel and also um, Chanel Fashions. It came so organically for me. It wasn't planned. I love Chanel and I I love the aesthetic of Gabrielle Chanel and who the woman she was as an independent woman and a designer. So that really just exuded when I wore Chanel or when I posted about Chanel and then Chanel reached out to me.
0: We don't know how much Chanel is paying to partner with Irene, but brands tend to shell out a wide range of cash for these influencer partnerships.
2: They can be as low as free. They can be as low as a couple hundred dollars per post, and they can go up to really meaningful numbers.
0: According to a recent report, Kylie Jenner of Kardashian family fame has developed enough influence that each of her Instagram posts is worth more than $1 million.
2: So what you're seeing specifically in beauty, you're seeing some real powerhouse brands emerge that honestly didn't need to go the traditional route. And, and are skipping and are just basing on the power of the the person behind the brand. And obviously Kylie is a very good example. Fenty is a very good example.
0: And to put some numbers on how these young brands are performing, Kylie Cosmetics made $420 million in sales in 18 months without any traditional advertising. Rihanna's Fenty line of lipsticks and foundations for all skin tones made five times the sales of Kylie in his first month. That's according to Slice Intelligence.
2: It is interesting. It's it's revolutionizing the way people are creating beauty brands and then shopping them.
0: And if you think of how BeautyCon fits into this, you know, the idea behind the festivals is to bring together these brands, whether it's the makeup company or the YouTube creator, along with the consumer, the shoppers, it really create this sort of mega shopping experience. I guess my, my question is how long before something like BeautyCon and some of these newer brands just get rolled up by a bigger conglomerate?
2: Beauty... And maybe I'll throw athletic in in as well, unlike most industries are already oligopolistic.
0: Meaning there are just a few big sellers in the market.
2: But essentially what is happening is if you think about Ulta, Ulta plays a very important role obviously to the consumer. They play a very important role to shareholders. Um, They also play a very important role to the vendors. And what they've essentially become very successfully is they're intentionally or not – an incubator of emerging brands and those brands that can get into Ulta can get the distribution and grow and show their their worth. Some do get picked up by larger companies. So it does feel like that is the, uh, the path. Beauty has always been a, a roll up story and it probably continues to be.
0: So, I mean, do you have any sense of the staying power of these influencers? This might be more of a philosophical question than anything, but is there some kind of limit to how much trust the average consumer is going to put in a stranger on Instagram or YouTube?
2: So, so, so you're asking a stock analyst about philosophy. I think it's really interesting. I think what's important is acknowledging how easy it is to get to that many followers, and I, and I, I don't, I don't mean to be uh, to be trite when I say that, but, but. To oversimplify, it is somewhat easy to get there. What that means is the value of those followers changes drastically. If everyone can become famous overnight, fame loses a little bit of its cachet. And so, so to your question about how long the influencer trend lasts, it lasts forever. The question of how impactful it's going to be, it gets diluted every day.
0: Yeah, I guess – it's easier to, quote, get famous in an era of social media and gain that kind of following than it would have been beforehand. Simeon, there's one thing we haven't talked about, and that's Amazon. There's a bit of difference of opinion on on how Amazon actually affects makeup and skincare sales. Amazon can't quite recreate the experience you might have at a Mac makeup store or at BeautyCon, but you know the numbers. How does Amazon play into beauty?
2: My team and I have done a lot of work around analyzing Amazon influence on the beauty sector and what is... The first thing that I need to say is beauty is on Amazon. Whether 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 we want to acknowledge it or not, whether investors or the brands want to acknowledge it or not, Amazon is both a retailer, but they're increasingly the way we view it. To, they are becoming more of the mall. And as ironic as that may sound, it's the marketplace that is the, the fastest growing part of their business.
0: And by marketplace, this is the the part of Amazon that lets third parties sell products alongside the rest of what the site offers
2: the marketplace sells beauty products and when whether they're licensed whether they're they're real or not is is a separate again another another podcast conversation so what my team and I did we spent a lot of time scraping the the website there are estee brands estee lauders brands the the portfolio of brands that they have and l'oréal's brands the portfolio brands that they have there are over 30,000 options if you search for those for any brand within their their wheelhouse there are Tens of thousands of products under both of those companies' wheelhouses. Um, The the vast, vast majority are not coming from the company. One of those companies has made it very clear that they are not selling to Amazon. Uh, One of them has a little bit of a partnership with them. But the product's there. So the question of, well, if the companies signed up with Amazon, would that mean that all of a sudden Ulta and Sephora have to worry that Amazon is going to sell a lot of beauty products? I think the easiest answer is the products are already there, whether the companies want them to be or not. And Sephora and Ulta are doing great. So I think the first thing does go to the fact of experiential discovery in-store matters for this product more so than others. Now, does that mean that Amazon is never going to make headway? Obviously not. That That is not a bet you want to make on on anything. But there is something special about beauty that does – force someone to want to go in, make sure it's real and and find the latest and the greatest.
0: Yeah. So if I have to make a purchase like, I don't know, say toothpaste, I might not care if I see the packaging ahead of time. But for, say, a new beauty product, a new blush or lipstick, I'm going to want to test that out in store and kind of develop a bit of a, a comfort with the brand before I start just making a you know, a one-click purchase on the internet.
2: Yeah, and listen, since we're we're already best friends, let's get personal. I mean, do you buy toothpaste on Amazon?
0: I actually don't. <laughs> but I could. I could do it.
2: I and and by the way, I knew that was going to be I I knew that was going to be the answer. It's interesting that you brought up toothpaste, staples, so consumer staples, oddly enough, are another category that I think again, I'll, I'll be anecdotal on here rather than empirical, I don't think a lot of people buy their toothpaste and deodorant on Amazon. When you would think, why not? Why, why is that not the easiest subscribe and save? Other than you don't need gallons of toothpaste. But but so there, there's a question there to 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 ask yourself as a consumer why you don't do that. A part of it might be you do care if it's real. You're putting this in your mouth. A part of it might be you want it when you need it. Right? I, I don't I don't really plan my toothpaste purchases. I notice that. I ran out, the tube is empty, and unfortunately, I I, I hope I'm not going to see anyone that morning before I make it to a pharmacy. So one of those is very easy to fix. If Amazon can find for me, convince me, just put this on every three months to buy another tube of toothpaste, then that's easy. Whereas the other side, the fact that I'm putting this into my mouth and want to make sure it's legitimate, maybe that's a harder piece. So so there are certain categories that, that I do believe consumer staples are probably a less shopped purchase that... There is room for Amazon to make headway. But but yes, I do think that beauty is different than toothpaste, and I think toothpaste is different than a sweater.
0: But – and maybe down the road, Alexa hears me say, you know, oh, no, we're almost out of toothpaste and automatically fills that order for me, sends it to my door within a couple of hours.
2: Which, by the way, not you, – you bring up an interesting point. Alexa is going to be very – Alexa is going to change this whole conversation because where does the influencer sit? when uh, when i say alexa buy me a product and alexa chooses which of those products to buy so there's going to be a whole nother version assuming that voice does grow into as big of a business as as we all think it will figuring out how to utilize a search when you really are only going for one option is really something that the consumers and the brands have not have never had to do before it's always been a choice even when the choice has been 3 And and ironically, you've gone from a big box retailer giving you a choice of three products to Amazon giving you a choice of infinite products to voice really giving you a choice of one.
0: Yeah, so maybe voice assistants are the ultimate disruptor. Thanks, Simeon. If you want to read more about the business of beauty, my colleague Anna Nicolaou and I have written a piece for the FT, and you can find it at FT.com. It's also linked in the summary for this episode. And thanks to everyone who wrote in with feedback and story ideas last week. If there are stories in the news that you think we should cover, I'd really love to hear from you. You can email me at behindthemoney@ft.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Amy We'll be back next week.